This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, November 23rd, Thanksgiving Day. It's the Who's Your Mommy edition. I'm Gabriel Roth, an editor at Slate and the father of Eliza, age six, and Leo, who is three. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 14, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17. And I am Carvel Wallace, a writer, editor, and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I am the father to Georgia, who is 12, and Ezra, who is 14. Today on our show, we have a question from a listener who isn't sure how and when to say no to her two-and-a-half-year-old, and another from a listener whose son has just started calling his stepmother mom. Plus, of course, we will have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations. On Slate Plus, my boss, Julia Turner, will be here to share a parenting tip that solves a problem that I myself have, and maybe you do too. Uh, Let's start with triumphs and fails. Rebecca, what do you have? Uh, I've got a triumph that um, was kind of unintentional. It's turned into like a really sweet thing that I just I love and I just can't stop thinking about is that um, when my stepdad died last spring, my mom started like immediately divesting herself of all of his stuff and like his clothes and stuff. Like she always comes over with like boxes of clothes and she's like, do the boys want any of George's shirts or sweaters? And, you know, I am just saying yes to everything and just saying, of course, of course we do. And then just keeping the stuff, you know, that it might be keepable and getting rid of stuff. I realized from my mom, this is her way of getting rid of stuff without feeling like she's getting rid of stuff. She feels like it's sort of like still around if she's bringing it to my house. And it's kind of this unspoken thing that we have that I know to be true from other times. She's divested herself of stuff when really I'm just saying yes so that I can then throw it away so she doesn't have to. Anyway, um, so she's been bringing over boxes of clothes and About two weeks ago, Teddy discovered this leather jacket of George's in in one of these boxes that's kind of piled up in our office. And he put it on, I think, um, partially because right now he's in the school musical Bye Bye Birdie. And he was like, ooh, a leather jacket. I might be able to wear this as a costume. He put it on and saw himself in the mirror and just like fell in love with Teddy in George's leather jacket, Teddy. And so he has been wearing this thing 
pretty much nonstop. He wore it on his school trip to Washington, D.C. I stopped by the school the other day to drop off something he forgot at home, and I saw him in the hallway, and he was, like, wearing it during the school day, like, in the hallway. And I saw him that night, and I said, you know, Teddy, you really seem to like this jacket. You know, because he's a very tactile kid. Like, he'll very often get, like, a cozy sweatshirt and then wear it nonstop for six months, and I'll have to scrape it off of him to wash it every so often. Um, And he said, yeah, he's, like, uh, it's comfortable, whatever. He's, like, but... Really, I just I love wearing it because it makes me feel close to George. And I just, you know, I love George and it just like makes me feel really, really good to wear this jacket. And so I don't know. I mean, I can't really take credit for the triumph of just not having, you know, gone through this box yet of stuff. And and I, I don't know if I would have ended up donating this particular jacket to the thrift store or not. But I don't know. I feels really, really wonderful and triumphant in a way that my kid feels this incredible connection to his grandparent and has found a way to embrace it and accept it and make it part of his daily life. Um, and I don't know. It's just really, really nice. And I, I wanted to tell you guys about it. So that's my triumph of the week. That's awesome. I think that's really cool. Yeah. I actually had this very – that this may, maybe is a teenage boy thing because when I was uh, – I want to say like 14 or 15, my either my dad or my uncle – I think my dad gave me this like old like 70s trench coat that he had. And I don't know why I ended up taking it because I was starting to explore like – like thrift dressing and like how to dress like I'm like an outcast. You know what I mean? Like I just was in this LA, like I'm a skater now, everyone. And like, I wear old clothes. And um, so I snatched this, that this trench coat from my dad, this like tan sort of like raincoat, like inspector Clouseau type deal. And I didn't wear it for a few months. And then I decided to cut it, (laughs) to cut it off at the waist and make it like a waist length trench coat, which (laughs) from a tailoring perspective, probably not a great move, but I was really into that. And I sewed, this um i'd won this m like for my middle school academic spelling bee or academic olympics or whatever i got like a letter in middle school so i sewed that and i was like wearing it ironically as a high schooler and i was like walking around la and listening to fishbone and skating and like wearing these (laughs) discarded elements from the past and like repurposing everything with irony i loved i felt like i could not i felt like i didn't exist without that jacket you know Hmm. for like four months that jacket made me a person as far as I could understand. It was my first real identity statement, you know, as a teenager. So I, I, I fully get that. That's so awesome. I, 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 never, I never inherited any jackets from a, a dad or an older relative, but I assume some of it is to do with like when you're a teenage boy and, and, and you realize you're like, Having to, you're supposed to be a man. If not now, then soon. <laughs> yes, and you exactly. have to figure out, like, how am yeah. I going to do that? What What is yeah. up with that, man? What's up with that? That's crazy. And and if yeah. there's like a costume that helps you do that, then um, good luck. You know, that'll help. Hopefully. Yep. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. <sighs> I have a I have a fail, and it's a like a very ordinary garden variety fail, but I can't talk about anything else because it's obviously like the dominant parenting experience of my week is this really straightforward, stupid fail. Specifically, yesterday at the kids' school was like the fall sing where they like go from their school to another building, the meeting house, and they like the kindergarten class and all the different classes like sing their songs for you. And it's nice. It's a, you know, we have done it for a couple of years now and it's very nice. And in Leo's class, because he's in the threes, he's in pre-K, um, they need a grown-up to be there to accompany the kid to walk from the school building to the meeting house, a distance of about two blocks. And is it going to be me or is it going to be my wife? Well, the plan was that it was going to be me, and yet somehow I had it in my head that it was going to be my wife. 
And just I, I have since looked back at the email thread, and it's very clear there was no ambiguity. I was supposed to be there to meet him, to walk him to the meeting house. And I had the idea that it was going to be my wife who would do that, and I would meet them there at the meeting house. And so we got the call from the teacher, and I was like scrambling and running, and I didn't get there. And he was fine. The teacher held his hand and walked him there. I met them at the meeting house. I gave him a kiss. He was totally fine. There was no issue except – um Wow. When you're the parent whose job it is to like hold your kid's hand and walk them from the school to the meeting house and you get it messed up in your head and you forget, that's a uh, that that's a parenting fail right there. So um, <laughs> that is my week. Yeah, that's I mean, that is a You're right. It's a garden variety fail, but it's it's a big one and yeah. it happens and you always feel terrible when that happens. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, sorry, Leo. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, everybody. And, It'll and be you, okay. You, <laughs> I, I mean, it will in the end be okay. It will in the end uh, be okay. And and all these thoughts go through your head as you're doing it and you're sort of mentally kicking yourself. And, and meanwhile, I'm thinking like, well, but what about all the times when I was supposed to meet him and I did meet him? Yeah, that's not. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> ever gives me any credit for no. those times. Yeah, okay. All right. Have and, a seat. And, have a seat. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, nobody will give you credit for those times. Oh, God, oh, you're man. such a dad. I know. Yeah, you won't get credit for those. That's not how that works. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. yeah. He speaks truth. Yep. It's sad. He speaks truth. It really is. Hundreds and hundreds of times. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah. Well, I have uh, I have what I think is a is a is a triumph uh, as I am parenting a teenage son. I don't know if I've mentioned that, but it turns out that that's a whole thing parenting a teenage son because you've got the teenage and then you've got the son, and then if I'm being really honest, you've got the adult male dad in the mix, and so it's a heady brew uh, between me and Ezra in our constant bickering and philosophical arguments and and fighting about good or bad and do rocks have souls and is there god and do people have choice and it's just like it's everything is that and it dri- it drives me crazy you know there's nothing more mm, motivated than a 14 year old who has discovered sartre you know that's that's where that's where that's where 14 year old boys really start to find their stride and it's not a stride that we enjoy as a family because we're just like, do you want to, ha- you know, do you want to go to the like burger place for dinner? And he's just like, well, you know, what is choice, Dad? Like, if you think about it, you know. And so, and he's and he's really good at like, okay, I guess and, it's fried he, chicken. Yeah, right. And he, and he, but he he really only marshals these arguments, and he won't admit this yet, but I know this to be true. He only organizes his thinking around. They all arrive at the same point. All his philosophical arguments and bickering all arrive at the same point, which is I don't have to do my homework. <laughs> basically because what is choice or you know what i mean and so anyway so we started so i walked i was over there yesterday i walked in the room he's playing grand theft auto like and i'm just like oh jeez and so um i engaged him in this debate about the nature of violence in video games and i actually did a whole instagram story of this but uh and so he then puts down his controller and and 
enters into this debate with me about the nature of violence in video games and the, and the duality of man. At some point, when he whipped out the phrase duality of man, I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm ne- he's never going to back down. He basically just wants to play Grand Theft Auto and he's going to marshal any snippets of philosophy that he has at his disposal to justify this. And uh, and so I'm trying to explain to him about toxic masculinity and about like violence and, and I'm, I'm not really trying to advance a point, but get him to think critically. That's my argument. Really, I'm trying to get him to admit he shouldn't play the game and he should play like Mario Kart or whatever. And so um, he's not having it because he's a 14 year old boy. This debate goes on and on. It drives me crazy. It drives him crazy. It drives Georgia crazy. And, f- and after like 40 minutes of going back and forth, I just pulled the plug on the conversation. I just said, actually another thing that we need to do right now is walk the dog. Let's walk the dog around the lake. (laughs) And they were like, around the whole lake, which is three and a half miles in Oakland. Around the whole lake. And I was like, yeah, we have to walk the dog around the lake. That's something that your mother asked us to do, so let's go do that. And then we did. And everyone got their clothes on. They didn't argue about it. They got, I mean, they grumbled, but they didn't fight it. And then we walked around the lake. And and, uh, we had this whole sunset walk around the lake. And it was so great. And at one point, Ezra was dominating the conversation again because he was getting into his, like, thing. And I set this arbitrary rule that, okay, because Georgia never gets to talk when you have, when you go on these things, you have to be quiet from now until we reach the boathouse on the, you know, at the end at the other side. And he did. He just didn't talk for that entire time. And then Georgia and I hmm. made small talk. And, uh, and then he joined the conversation. It was a lot more chill. And it was a really interesting thing to see him. It just reminded me, God, I have a teenage son and I cannot let things go. I always have to be right. He always has to be right. That drives Georgia crazy. And I think I like was able to at some point back off of that enough. And I'm still working on that. But small, small victories, small steps. There's one among many really useful lessons for him in there, which is like learn to dial back your shtick. Like, yes. Like if you're yes. it goes back to like being a teenage boy and you're figuring out what it means to be a man, but what like once you start learning to produce conversation on a particular line, like you can just keep doing that indefinitely. And if you can teach him like yeah, you can keep doing that indefinitely, but that doesn't mean you should. That will be a yes. really valuable thing for him to learn. <laughs> that is really accurate because it is that. I mean, I've been a- around a lot of teenagers because all my work before I started writing was working with teenagers who were either locked up or in foster care programs. And the, I mean, the fr- and I did that for like 15 years. And one of the first things that really struck me is that teenagers are always trying on versions of adulthood. Mm. You know, like I just, I just remember this one kid picked up like what what I'm sure he thought was like a wry laugh style. You know, it was like <laughs> he just picked up this thing, and then I was I watched him use it thirty times in every conversation. You know, <laughs> and I it just I related to that so much because it reminded me of what you said about you're trying to find adulthood and you're picking up these pieces. And you're way overusing them and overplaying them and you're overplaying your hand. And he does that. So now he's like, you know, I am the cynical sort of person who sees through the bullshit. I see through your lies. I see through the society, man. And he's got that. Okay, great. That's wonderful. You're right on schedule to be a great, intelligent, critically thinking person when you grow up. But I hope I can't wait to learn to dial it back and let other people also be a part of the conversation. Hmm. Yeah, it's good. Before we move on, let's do the business. If you have a question that you would like us to answer on the air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833, or you can send us an email at momanddad at slate.com. 
another podcast that you should be sure to check out, Slate's Amicus, hosted by Dahlia Lithwick. It's the show about the law and the nine Supreme Court justices who interpret it for the rest of us. Uh, on a recent show, Dahlia talked about the 25th Amendment, how that relates to Donald Trump's fitness for office, the state of Second Amendment jurisprudence, which dictates all of our gun regulations, uh, and how Trump is filling vacancies on the federal bench. Uh, Dahlia is one of the great experts and one of the great, witty, funny, smart, incisive thinkers on all of these topics that are more important now than ever. So you should check out Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. On Slate Plus today, we're going to talk to Julia Turner, Culture Gap Fest host and the editor-in-chief of Slate Magazine. Uh, she has a parenting tip that will solve a big problem for any parent of an elementary school or younger aged child. Uh, if you want to hear that segment and other segments like it and get your podcast with no ads, sign up for Slate Plus, a great way to help support this show. For just $35 your first year, you can help cover the cost of producing this show. Uh, and in return, you get extended ad-free versions of your favorite Slate podcasts and a lot of other great benefits. Uh, so if you want to support Mom and Dad Are Fighting, go to slate.com slash plus and join Slate Plus today. Uh, time now for our first question. This one came to us via our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fighting. So you will hear it being read by Julia Turner. I have a question about how to treat an uncomfortable step-parent situation. Last winter, my son's father got married. I actually really like his new wife, W, overall, and we've built something resembling a precarious friendship. Whenever people ask me about her, I quite sincerely sing her praises and frequently tell people that my son's father couldn't have picked a better woman to be our son's stepmom. My main praise of her has been that she understands the difference in roles between a parent and a step-parent and has never tried to replace me as my son's mom. A few weeks ago, my five-year-old son came home from visitation with his dad and in the course of conversation told me, W told me I can call her mom. I tried not to show my dismay in front of him, but later that night I cried hard. I didn't know how to address it, so I didn't say anything to him or W, and as I didn't hear any more about it, it seemed like that might be the end of it. But this week, when he came home from his dad's house again, he was talking about all the things he got to do with dad and my other mom. This is really hurtful to me, and I'm not sure why or if it is even reasonable to feel this way. I have friends who grew up in divorced households and talk about how they had two moms or two dads growing up, and I think that's really sweet. But I really don't want him to call her mom. Should I talk to his stepmom about it? Am I being unreasonable in not wanting my son to call another woman mom? Oh, my God. This oh, this makes me want to, like, jump out of my body. It makes me so uncomfortable. No, you are not being unreasonable to have these feelings. These feelings are, like, exactly what you should be feeling. And I'm amazed by the restraint you had when this first happened, when your son first came home and told you this. Um, good for you for not reacting in front of him and, um, you know, not saying anything, hoping it might just go away. I mean, that was probably the right thing to do at this point. But... Uh, I don't know if this is the right advice, but I'll tell you what I would do because this would also hurt me very, very, very much. I am going to give W the benefit of the doubt and say that this was not a passive-aggressive move designed to hurt your feelings. I know there are situations in divorces and remarriages where this kind of thing is, in fact, a passive-aggressive move designed to hurt someone else's feelings, but I'm going to just trust you that you guys have a good relationship, that she's a good person. Perhaps she doesn't have her own kids and doesn't quite understand um, what this means and, and the boundary that's been crossed here. So, 
your son is only five. It would be very difficult to do this talking to one of them uh, because the other one will very easily, you know, be hurt by your kind of going to one or the other. I would start with W. And um, what I would do is have a conversation, say exactly to her what you said here. You know, I don't want to feel this way. Um, However, it really, really hurts and bothers me. And I know that's not what you meant to do. In fact, I cherish the relationship you have with my five-year-old son. I'm thrilled that he has a wonderful woman in his life that loves him enough to think of herself in a parenting role. Um, But, you know, him calling you mom feels usurping and it really hurts my feelings. And I'm wondering if, and this is the part that may or may not be right, but it's, I think, what I would do. Uh, I'm wondering if we can talk to him together and, and and explain this together and come up with a solution together rather than me going to him or you going to him. Because what you don't want to create is a triangulation situation where then W is talking to your son and saying, well, your mom says we can't do X. And you don't want to create a situation where your son goes to W and says, well, mom says I can't call you mom. If you really want this to end, and I don't blame you for wanting it to end, <laughs> um, that's probably how I would handle it. But I would I would reach some consensus with the stepmom first and get to a place where you guys can have that conversation with your son and have it be comfortable and have it not be fraud and make him feel like he did anything wrong because he didn't do anything wrong. He just followed the cues of the adults in his life and he wants to feel like you accept his stepmom because that is a difficult transition for a kid to make, accepting another parent into their life that's the same sex as the primary parent that they live with. It's very tough. I know my my kids have gone through the same thing. But you have two choices here. One is to either talk to her and the other one is just to live with her for the rest of your life. And if you know you can't live with this for the rest of your life, you need to talk to her and you need to perhaps see if she'd be willing, if she agrees with you and she's willing to give it up being called mom, if she would be willing to work with you in communicating that to your son together. That's that's the only solution I can think of that would work for me in this situation. Yeah. I mean, I I am not in a step... I mean, I actually kind of am, but this also made me want to jump out of my skin. This is very difficult. And the question that I had at the beginning is, and there's no way this can be answered, but it, it somehow feels important to me. It's like, did did W say out of nowhere, hey, just so you know, you can call me mom? Or did the kid say, can I call you mom too? Mm. And W said, sure. That's a big difference. And I, I agree with Rebecca that it is... It is important in situations like this to to go on what you see rather than what you fear because – right? So like what you see in front of you is that this exchange happened and my imagination can fill in a lot of terrible scenarios about – how people are doing this at me and this is this is someone's like way of trying to like hurt me and but I've learned over time not to lead from that place I sort of keep those thoughts in the backseat of the car but I don't let them drive the car so I just I, I will have to go on the facts of the case which is that this exchange has happened and it makes me feel uncomfortable and it's important that um, that I'm supported as the mom as the as the bio, bio mom like I'm supported in the distinction that uh, I am the mom and this person isn't. And um, so I agree with all of Rebecca's like advice. I think that that's a conversation that you do want to have. I don't know who to start with. 
Um, it depends a lot, I suppose, on what your relationship with the ex is. My instinct would be to start with the ex because that's where there's the most history of communicating and navigating difficult things that you might start with that and say, hey, but I think it's, I think how you approach that is important. I think if you go to the ex and say, what the fuck is this? <laughs> then that could be, that can be a problem. You could say to the ex, hey, I want your advice on something, which is something I always do when I, when I am like trying, when I'm entering a difficult situation. Hey, I want your input on this. This has happened. This is how I feel about it. These are the things I'm thinking. What do you think from your perspective? And the ex has a certain viewpoint on both parties that you don't have. And um, that's maybe the way I would start. But I don't know if that's right because I don't know the situation and what your relationship and communication with him is like. But the thing I do want to say that I am certain about is that you are most assuredly not wrong for having this feeling. Even... The in the in the step parent situation that I'm in, where Cho lives with her boyfriend, and the kids, no one is calling him dad. He's not trying to be dad. He's like, there's none of that. Even when Ezra <laughs> says, like, yeah, me and Jeff played frisbee together. Like every hair on the back of my neck stands up for an instant. Just them playing frisbee, and then I'm like, okay, calm down. That's not. He's not trying. To, <laughs> I mean, like Jeff's not trying to steal your children from you. But that's how intense it feels. Just That's just the truth. And so I can imagine how uh, deeply hurt and emotional I would feel if the kids came to me and were like, yeah, Jeff decided – Jeff said we can call him dad. That would be really hard. So the one thing I know for sure is that you are not wrong to have these feelings at all. Yeah, I don't have much to add to that except, wow, what a hard situation. And, and so much of it comes down to the specifics of how – the stepmother feels and whether, as as Rebecca suggested, whether this is like a natural thing that happened and maybe evolved out of the kid's preferences or something the kid said or or whether this is actually a sort of psychological attack on, on you, uh, which uh, would be a different and, and more intractable situation. Um, so in terms can I, of Can I just add one thing? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, of course. Go. I actually disagree. I, I wouldn't – I mean – this is obviously it's, it's situation dependent. I actually wouldn't go to the ex. Mm-hmm. I think that has a mm-hmm. a, a potential landmine mm-hmm. there where you mm-hmm. could create an adversarial situation with the stepmom where you are doing your communication through the ex. So she's now in a position where she's hearing from her husband what his ex wife thinks of her. Um, I've been in this yeah, situation. Okay. Um, yeah. I was yeah. using my <clears throat> husband as the intermediary between myself and his wife for ex wife for many years, and. Um, it in our relationship never got any better until I started communicating with her directly, and we formed our own independent relationship yeah. that was built around the fact that I was stepmom to her daughter, and I think she really only started to see me as not threatening, not thinking about her negatively, really trying to work together when I formed that direct communication. And like Kevin is just like not important. We're not talking about Kevin. We're talking about Lily's birthday party. We're not talking about Kevin. We're talking about Lily's, you know, what she's wearing to prom or whatever. And it just, it worked better. And our conversations just became more frank. And um, I don't know. I think that there's potential problem <laughs> that that you could be yeah i will i will i, I will yeah. cop to that because like the i mean you know i mean you've said this before and like the joe and i have like a really 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 good working relationship a really strong emotional like work bond you know where we like can really say honestly what we feel about things 
um, because you know, and like, and and I like, there's like a certain amount of trust that's there, and I recognize that like that's not always the case for everyone. So I always <laughs> tend never the case. to overestimate. <laughs> I tend to overestimate how much like chill people can have with their exes around difficult issues. So your point is well taken. Yeah, I don't have much to add by way of practical advice. I think Rebecca's suggestion that the the best possible result would be for the mother and the stepmother to talk to the kid together. Um, that seems smart to me. Um, I'm reminded of uh, a, an article from The Onion from about 15 years ago that I remember <laughs> broke me in half at the time that I read it. You remember when The Onion used to be just incredibly sad? The headline on mm. this article, and you can find it if you want to Google and, and, and destroy yourself a little bit, um, but the headline is, New Mommy a Lot Prettier. <laughs> oh, God, no. There's wow. just, there's so much, Whoa. there's so much pain <laughs> Just intrinsic to all of this stuff, right? Yeah. Intrinsic yep. to divorce and intrinsic to new family formation and people trying to negotiate and navigate these new roles. And even if we assume the best possible will in the world on the part of both the mom and the stepmother and the father, um, this is just an incredibly difficult, intrinsically difficult situation. Um, hopefully the two of you can, can talk it over and, and, um, come up with a good solution. But I think the main thing, as everybody says, is, um, the fact that hearing your son address your husband's new wife as mommy doesn't make you feel great. Uh, I don't think you need to interrogate your feelings too deeply about that. That seems pretty <laughs> straightforward to me. Yeah, and you know what? If you if you find out this is psychological warfare, like if you talk to her and she says, "I'll do whatever I want," you know what? Wouldn't you rather know that that's what you're dealing with than not know that that's what you're dealing with? You know, it it does help. I mean, I I thought I had uh, my kids. Um, stepmom thought I had one kind of relationship with her. It turned out I had a different kind of relationship with her, and. Life got a little easier when I knew exactly where I stood. I th it was different than I thought was where I stood. <laughs> so, you know, the worst case scenario here is you talk to her and she tells you to go F yourself. And you now know that you have someone that needs to be contended with in a different way. And it's it honestly is better mm. to know that than not know that. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you for the letter. Um, good luck with it. Uh, let us know how it goes. If you want to send us an update for us to tell people about, I'm sure people would love to know about it. Time now for our second letter. This one, again, came to us over email or Facebook. Uh, so it's being read by the managing producer of Slate Podcasts and host of the Double X Gab Fest, June Thomas. I am the mom of a two, almost two and a half year old little boy. I try to say yes as much as I can. For example, he wants to climb out of the car himself, which is fine, except for those times when I can't allow that due to safety reasons or time restraints and a total meltdown occurs. Or when he wants to wear his choo-choo PJ shirt all day long, I compromise and let him wear a regular shirt over the top. Except when his choo-choo shirt gets wet from a leaky pull-up overnight and he can't wear it. Total meltdown. Should I continue to say yes about things that I deem to be things that just don't matter? Or do I need to get a little more do as I say so that he doesn't turn into a bratty kid who freaks out all the time over not getting his own way? I love letting him have some freedom as two-year-olds have very little freedom over their life, but I can't deal with the constant meltdowns. Okay. My first thought is this is a period in your parental career that seems like it's going on forever and is actually like relatively brief in the scheme of things. 
Um, and so it's, it, it can be easy to think that like the whole, like you've created a person whose only response to the world is to scream when he doesn't get his way. And, and that will go on for a while and then it'll stop. My second thought is the thing you most want to avoid, uh, you can't avoid it every time, but you want to avoid it when you can, is the situation where you say, no, you can't have X. And he throws a tantrum and has a meltdown and you say, oh, all right, you can have X. Like that one dynamic is the it, it, more important than whether or not he gets X is like changing your mind in response to him having a tantrum is the thing you want to avoid. And sometimes that means just fucking give it to him right at the beginning before he, if you, if you think there's going to be a meltdown and, and you can live with him having the thing, just give it to him so that he doesn't have the meltdown. And other times it means you have to really stand your ground and like, you're not going to give it to him even if he's smashing his head physically into a rock and is going to destroy himself. And sometimes what it means is you tell him, Hey, listen, I can't give you the thing while you're screaming like that. Can you take some deep breaths and try to calm down and maybe we can work this out and teach him to like take a bunch of deep breaths with you. You can do like with him a bunch of times and you can ask him to like ask for it nicely and say please and teach him various like strategies to calm himself down and let the reward, let getting the thing that he wants be the reward for calming himself down rather than be the reward for the tantrum. Does that make sense? Like instead of. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're talking about two different things, though. I mean, so you're talking the, yeah. the de-escalating tantrum things. So the one thing I want to say about this is like saying yes to your kid at the easy stuff that doesn't matter is not going to change the fact that they have a tantrum when they say when you say no. Yeah. Um, because yes. that's just that, hey, that's a two year old <laughs> thing. Exactly and that's also the way say. some kids are wired. Yeah. Right. My, my son was just like that's my yeah. older son now, who, by the way, you should know, is the chillest kid in the entire world now at 16. Mm was mm-hmm. a disaster as a two-year-old. He, If you cut his sandwich the wrong way, he would throw himself on the ground. And it was like, oh, my God. Um, so the deep breath cues thing and the like the, the tactics we learned were the deep breaths plus also unclenching your fists really helps. And then like putting on a fake smile helps like induce those feelings to get you out of the tantrum. <laughs> but um, I, you're parenting exactly how I parented my kids. Say yes to the things that you can because when you start saying arbitrary no's, uh, the other issue is that they'll ask you why. And you won't have a fucking answer mm-hmm. as to why. Mm-hmm. There is nothing wrong with wearing your pajamas when you can. There's nothing wrong with letting yourself out of the car when you can and when it's safe. And the one thing I'll say is instead of the because uh, I said so, tell them why you're saying no every time you say no. And it really will help them learn to listen to the no. I think no's mean more when they are more rare and not just arbitrary because I said so bullshit knows, which kids can see through like nobody's business, especially when they hit three and four and five. They learn that you're just saying no because you can, because you feel like because I said so. Because I said so to me is like the most bullshit parenting thing that's that's ever been said to a little kid. Like little kids have justice issues. That's how they're built. That's how they like learn the world is they you, you, you say on the one hand, you want them to know right from wrong. You want them to be able to make good decisions. What if you went to work and you had a great idea and someone said, no, you can't try your great idea just because I said so. Not because we don't have the budget for it. We don't have time for it. I'm afraid you aren't going to finish your other projects or make your deadlines or just just because I said so. Like you would like like leave. You'd quit, right? You'd like another job like immediately. So I think your instincts are good. 
what if all of your great ideas at work were that you should get to have Halloween candy right now? <laughs> well, you can say, yeah, well, you can say no, that's not a good choice because if you if you only eat Halloween candy, you're not going to grow. You're going to turn into, you know, a person who is like body is run by sugar and that's not healthy and that's not a good choice. Like you can, but I think, I think explaining the no is really helpful in these situations. And I do think saying yes to things like, can I let myself out of the car is absolutely the right way to go. That's, that's how I raised my kids and they're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I mean I th- I think a simple rule of thumb for when to say yes and when to say no is say no when you have a good reason that you can explain and say yes when you don't. I think that that's a basic guideline. I mean it's not always cuz sometimes when I think about it, like the thing about the pajamas like who ca- like that's the thing is like two-year-olds are the are that's the pleasure of being a two-year-old is that you get to walk around in pajamas and a cape all day and no one tries to institutionalize you because that's what that age is about and so if your kid wants to wear pajamas rain boots and a cape all day then let them wear pajamas rain boots and a cape i mean that's just you know they're two like they're not going to always want to do that and um so i think if I found that when I sort of review all the things that I wanted to say no to and what things I wanted to say yes to, the main reason I had for no was I don't feel like it. Mm. I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like, it. you know what I mean? I just don't feel like dealing with whatever this is going to just get in the car and be quiet. Like that is this sort of that feeling, which I think sometimes maybe 10, 15% of the time it's a valid reason. And even there you can, it can be couched in, terms that are understandable because Rebecca's right kids do have justice issues and they should and that's actually what we want for kids is to recognize when something is unjust and and to feel like they should be able to say something about that and um and so I might say um I might say if it's because I don't feel like it I have to give a more complete explanation it's like because when that happens then we have to do this and it takes longer and I'm, I'm pretty tired and if it's a something like that, then I'll usually offer something in return. But when we get home, let's do such and such a thing. So that's sort of like that's the on the fly thinking that I remember being a really big part of raising little kids. You kind of have to always be able to say, well, not that. But what about later we do this or, the, you know, whatever. And um, but I think that I think if you say no, when you say no, it, it does have to be for a reason, you know, because there's a lot of traffic on the street and I'm worried about you getting out and so on and so forth. That said, the other thing that struck me about this letter is the thing that Rebecca pointed out too, which is that there is a there's a there's a a, a causal relationship drawn in the letter between saying yes and kids having tantrums, and those are unrelated in my experience. Kids have tantrums. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. You could say yes perfectly and no perfectly every time, and kids will still melt down. That's just part of what they do, and it sucks and it's terrible. It's the reason why. It's the reason why nature made that period of your parenting short so that you can move on to the next things. And I found – and like for us and our family, Georgia was the the tantrum monster. She was – God bless her. She was a monster from 18 <laughs> months to about three. It was unreal. It was like living with a Tasmanian devil. And – um and she her her tantrums were loud and they were she had lung capacity like no one you've ever seen like an opera singer this this kid could go on and she would never give up she was just as stubborn as they come and once she set her you know and you would see it you would see it like a storm brewing you'd say i want the thing and you say well we can't have the thing because of the thing and then you just see this look on her face and this darkness would just descend over her eyes and her little jaw would get set and she'd be like Oh, I'm going to make you pay for this. And then she would unleash the wrath of hell on the household for like an hour. And it was crazy. And, uh, 
I don't think that that's our fault, <laughs> except for genetically. I think we parented, you know, as well as we could. I think we did the same with Ezra. He was much more chill. And as Gabe alluded to, right now we have the exact opposite situation. Georgia is very easy to explain things to and understand and let's go of things. She says, I want this. And you say, well, we can't because, you know, so why? And you say, well, this reason is this is. And she'll be upset, and sh- but she'll say, okay, I get it. Well, how about we do this? And, she'll, you know, she'll work with you to get it. But you can you can work with Georgia. Ezra gets a hold of an idea that he wants, and he won't let it go for ten days straight. And that's the opposite of how they were when they were little kids. So, I guess all that's to say, um, I don't think you get to opt parent out of tantrums. I really don't. I think Gabe's advice about how to de-escalate an already existing tantrum is is really good advice. But I don't think there is a parenting way that prevents tantrums for that age group. Yeah, I agree with all that. The one thing that, as you guys are talking about, like giving a reason, the one thing that I'm realizing is that a thing that makes that hard is that it's always the same reason. Like, (laughs) because it's always the same, the tantrum is always around the same thing. Like, how many times can I explain basic nutrition? Do you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and in a way, the answer is you have to explain basic nutrition lots and lots and lots of times because they're little kids and they don't understand and they don't store information very well and they would rather eat candy and they don't understand why they can't. Uh, But so maybe I have to like just very patiently explain to them why they can't eat candy literally like four times every day. (laughs) Uh, and maybe, maybe that will help, but it doesn't, it does feel counterintuitive. Like it seems Mm. very natural Mm. to say, don't just say no, give a reason. Don't just Mm -hmm. say, because I said Mm. so, give a reason. It doesn't feel natural to give the same reason four times a day, but small children's brains are different and weird. Yeah. But you, you can also give cues. I mean, if you, if you come up, if, if you come up with a shorthand that works, right? Like, you know, you need Whatever your shorthand is, like you need you need this much real food to grow and you can have this much candy and whatever the shorthand is, you can remind them that you've said it before. You can like build those cues in. You can say, well, as yeah. I, you know, as, yeah. as we've said before, X, that that might be a way that gets them to realize it's boring to hear it and maybe stop asking. I don't know. That's that's what I found worked. And that, by the way, I didn't make up that strategy that was given to me by like a very wise counselor, the same one who taught me about the unclenching hands um, tantrum mm. thing. Um, the reminder that you've talked about it before is very comforting for kids because it makes them feel mm. like this isn't the first and worst time I've ever felt this way. This has happened before and I'll be OK because a big part of being mm. in a tantrum is that helpless feeling that it's never going to end. It actually perpetuates the tantrum. And you remind a kid, you've mm. been here before and we got out of it OK. And remember that we said this and remember this. And it it provides them with a tremendous amount of comfort. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about the candy thing specifically. But if there's a shorthand you can develop that works for you, it might be worth a try. All right. Thanks a lot for your question. If you at home have any more questions, uh, you can give us a call at 424-255-7833. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. 
Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's time now for recommendations. Carvel, do you have a recommendation for us? I do. The I'm going to recommend something that I um, saw someone playing in this morning in the cafe that I went into to get my cup of coffee, and I remember that it was always in my kids' elementary school rooms. It's and I so I asked this parent about it. She was playing it with her apparent three year old. It's the card game Set S E T by from uh, Set Enterprises, I guess, and it's a it's a family game. It's a math game. It's like a it's like a grouping game. It's all these shapes on cards, um, and kids learn to make sets of like things. This is for ages, you know, anywhere from eighteen months to maybe three years, and uh, it's just a really good way to a have an activity. The, an intellectual activity for a kid that you can sit down and do that kind of keeps them focused and um and 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 at the same time you're working through them understanding organization and it's a good foundation for math and and seeing how things relate visually and just it just it's a nice kid sized puzzle that I remember that my kids were really into at school and and when and I had forgotten about it of course and then when I walked in this cafe here's this this mother and and son playing it and they were totally engrossed. And uh, so that is set, and that that link will be on the on the mom and dad are fighting page. Great, Rebecca. Uh, I've got something that's going to make me sound way craftier and more Martha Stewart than I am, um, but I'm not. I promise I'm not. I, I did this by accident one year, and now I do it every year, and it is such a huge hit that um, you know I just it helped reinforce the idea that it's a good idea. So when um, this is the time of year where you start getting family holiday cards in the mail, and you get you know the family photo on the front of the postcard, and then it's like greetings from our family, yada yada yada. So what I do is I keep the ones that uh, of family members that I actually interact with at the holidays, people that I might give gifts to, for instance, or give a card to in person. And then the next year um, for a gift tag on the gift that I give somebody, I cut out their face from last year's Christmas card or holiday card or cut out like the kid's face from a previous year and make that the gift tag on the gift that I'm giving them. And it sounds hokey, but there is something so like funny to watch people get a gift that has their own head on it from a year ago. And uh, they really, really like it, especially kids. This is something that kids love to do. And when I first started doing this, I would get my kids every year after the holidays to we'd pull all the cards down and like we always like hang them and like put them like on the mantle and stuff. I might want a project that my kids would do is go around and like cutting all the kids faces out of the cards. And then we put all the kids faces in an envelope. So we didn't have to like have, you know, a million cards in a box somewhere. Like it was just a couple like a manila envelope of just just heads. Um, but it, it is a really fun way to personalize a gift when you give one and a really funny way to remind people what they looked like a year ago, which for some reason, kids seem to enjoy a whole lot. So that's my recommendation, a little holiday craft that you have to be proactive about because those cards are going to start arriving any minute now. Nice. I am going to recommend a Thanksgiving strategy. It's probably too late because this podcast comes out on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> it's and never so too late. You will be listening if you're listening to this podcast while you are are elbow deep in dishes from your Thanksgiving dinner, or if you're only just catching up with it on Tuesday because your relatives have only just left and you're finally getting your life back in order. Uh, you will wish that you had followed my recommendation, which is to eat Thanksgiving dinner at a restaurant. 
I'm mm. sorry. I know it's not allowed. I know there's a you law against it. it. I, you New I, Yorker. I know that I know that you can be locked up for it if the state finds out that you've eaten <laughs> your Thanksgiving dinner at a restaurant. But every couple years uh, when we don't wind up going to visit family or in-laws or whatever, um, we go eat Thanksgiving dinner at a restaurant and we're going to do it tomorrow. It'll just be the four of us. We're going to Junior's Deli on Flatbush Avenue. It's not the world's greatest restaurant, but everybody can eat whatever they want. I'm going to eat a plate with like turkey and stuffing and cranberries and whatever they have for Thanksgiving. Uh, Leo is probably going to have mac and cheese. Eliza is probably going to have chicken fingers or whatever she wants to have. At the end, we'll all have our favorite kind of cheesecake. And um, it'll be fun or it'll be not fun. But what it won't be is it won't be stressful. And Mm. um, we and and then we can spend the rest of the day hanging out and playing games with each other and go for a walk or do whatever else we want to do. Um, and nobody's going to be like anxious about cooking a turkey properly or anything like that. So if you have the option, just go to a restaurant. It's so much easier <laughs> and everybody comes out way happier. And then the rest and then your weekend is, is, is you have a nice long weekend with your family. That is my recommendation. And that is, you don't have any leftovers. <laughs> That's the problem. You don't have any leftovers. I, you know, I've heard that complaint and, and what my mom who taught me this strategy um, what my mom does is, um, also goes to like the fancy grocery store in her neighborhood and buys a turkey and stuffing and cranberry sauce and puts them in the fridge so that you then have <laughs> leftovers. <laughs> That's wow. the real high level version of the strategy. Man, there's layers to this thing. Yeah, there really are. If you want to do that, if you want to do, go all the way, then you can get the leftovers too, because this is America and anything is available for the right price. <laughs> That's right. Ah, and that's our show. Uh, if you have a question that you would like us to address, give us a call at 424-255-7833. Um, let us know what you thought of the show on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash fighting. This episode was produced by Benjamin Frisch. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth, and we will see you next week. Bye.